Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Understeer podcast and today I'm as always joined by Gus and I'm delighted to welcome on today the senior writer for F1, the man with the best shoes in the paddock, it's Lawrence Barreto. <laughs> welcome on to the show Lawrence, how are you doing today? Um, I'm very good guys, thanks uh, for that tremendous intro. Um, <laughs> it's so funny that uh, shoes have become something that I've ended up talking about so much more over the last year or so. <laughs> The man famous for his shoes. Um, yeah, quite, quite a lot of people notice them. I'm sure I always see uh, Will um, taking the piss out of them quite a lot in the uh, <laughs> weekend warm ups or whatever. He very much enjoys that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I suppose we should start with sort of where did it all um, start for you? What sort of first piqued your interest into motorsport sort of slash Formula One? Um, I watched the 1994, so it's going to make me sound old, but the 1994 Australian Grand Prix with my dad, that's the first one that I can remember anyway. I think I watched ones before that, but that's my earliest memory. Um, and then I just would watch Formula One and any sort of racing, really, British touring cars in particular as well, um, just on the telly with my dad. And then he would start to take me to events. So I went to Silverstone, I went to Brands Hatch, went to Thruxton um when i was younger and i just really enjoyed it i was just really into cars really uh road cars racing cars anything to do with cars um and that peaked peaked my interest really and i think it was because my dad was so into it he, he was an Ayrton Senna fan and he just talks about it a lot um that i suppose i just absorbed that in a way nice and did you ever do any karting or anything or or get into any racing yourself or was that all mainly spectating and writing so I'm really small, as my friends often tell me, and so I'm like a jockey, and so technically that should mean that I should be very good at go-karting, but it became <laughs> very clear very early on that that was not my calling. Um, so I thought that the one thing that I was really good at at school, um, or the one I, the subject I enjoyed the most was English and writing, so I thought, well, if I'm not going to become a racing driver, um, I may as well spend my time writing about it and then eventually hopefully talking about it. So that's kind of how I decided that I wanted to morph um, motorsport, Formula One, uh, journalism and sort of a career and kind of follow that path, really. Sweet, sweet. That's, it's quite. I love it when someone knows or remembers kind of the exact race in which uh, they get they got into it. I think that's, that's quite cool. That's quite a cool um, kind of memory to have. And I guess you've already touched on it, but like, I guess, why did you become a journalist? Was it simply because you, you would, obviously, I, like you just said, uh, like writing was your passion. And so did it kind of just all make sense and I guess align? I think I just, I consider myself really lucky that when I was at school, I knew what I wanted to do as a career really early on. I remember a lot of my friends, they weren't sure what they wanted to study, you know, at A-level and, and go to university and, and what careers they wanted to follow. And I was I was pretty clear. I knew I wanted to go to Bournemouth Uni and I wanted to do the journalism degree there. I knew that once I'd finished that, that I wanted to do journalism. I didn't know specifically what, but I wanted to work in Formula One, um, maybe as a pit lane reporter one day, um, that kind of thing. And um, so I suppose I was just lucky in that I could really focus and knuckle down on trying to achieve that goal by putting the little baby steps in place, trying to get work experience, uh, trying to just write as much as I can, try and learn a lot about my subject. And so that's why I suppose I, I consider myself quite lucky in some ways. Awesome. So I guess you're going to ask the next question? Yeah, I can do. Um, sorry, my headphones, cut. I think it was my wife, I cut out, so I missed out. I missed a load of that, but I think it, I picked it up. So 
Sorry if I uh, was an awkward silence. Um, how did you sort of um, get your, you mentioned um, you wanted to become a reporter in the um, pit lane, you knew you wanted to work into Formula One. How did that sort of first big break, I suppose, come for you getting into that Formula One, the world? Um, so a couple, of, I did a couple of things. When I was at university, I um, managed to get a media pass um, through my university magazine to go to the British Grand Prix uh, for two two years running. And so that just gave me an opportunity to be in the paddock, to um, speak to journalists, um, speak to people at teams, just kind of get an idea of what it was like uh, to work in that arena. And um, I met a couple of journalists, in particular people like James Allen, who you know helped me out through my career. And um, I was very lucky that um, a lot of people have kind of worked really hard to, to, to give me opportunities. And I suppose so that was that kind of piqued my interest and I realised that I wanted to work in Formula One. I also did the Bridgestone e-reporter competition. Uh, so back when Bridgestone were a tyre supplier, they ran a, a writing competition across the world. Um, and then they flew uh, like eight or ten finalists to various GP2 rounds. And I got to go to Hungary uh, for my one. And it was the year um, where Jensen Button won. Uh, his first Grand Prix um, and it was an opportunity actually that year for me to to talk to Lewis Hamilton for the first time so he was obviously racing in GP2 that year so it's funny because I was just looking through some photos yesterday and uh, Bert who kind of chaperoned me while we were were away on on this trip um, was just really good at taking photos and there's one photo of me just like chatting to Lewis as we're walking back (laughs) in the paddock and his dad Anthony's like holding his helmet and the hands device and stuff and it kind of just brought back memories of like how lucky I was to to be doing that, but how utterly convinced I think I was that that's exactly what I wanted to do. Cause I just generally like talking to people um, and I like talking. So um, this is kind of the perfect, it's the perfect job for me really. Yeah. I mean, when you met Hamilton, did you ever, did you ever know that? I mean, we obviously knew he was very talented um, from his junior, junior career, but did you ever, did you ever even think beyond the wildest, um, what he would achieve which is just beyond the realms of possibility almost i'd definitely be lied if i said i thought he was going to go and equal michael schumacher because i <laughs> because i remember when michael got the seventh title i thought well no one's ever going to come close to that and here we are probably about to watch lewis going and win an eighth this year so it's funny how things can change actually reasonably quickly but i what i did realize at the time is just how impressive he was and Anthony kind of general work units at the back and just have a chat and everyone was quite relaxed about it and I just remember Lewis being so detailed in his responses so open so analytical and I, I was impressed by him of, of course I didn't know what he was going to go on to achieve but I saw enough there to think that he could be successful in Formula One. That's, that's really cool and like I guess that kind of leads on to the next question I mean you obviously spend so much time around the drivers, the I don't know, team personnel, team bosses, and I was talking about drivers. What are like? What are, what is it like working with them? Are they even off camera? These obviously very well trained media kind of robots in a sense. Or you got you got some like uh, Danny Rick and Lando who are a bit more relaxed and a bit more, uh, I guess, like a bit of banter, don't they? But um, what is it like? Like how are they? And I guess who's your favourite driver to uh, speak to? I think um, without trying to sit on the fence, I think they're all very different. I think that um, you mentioned Daniel and, and, and Lando. I think that the, the personality or, or the persona that you see is is actually very close to, to what they're like in, in real life. So often if you sit down with them for an interview, 
you can just have a chat about anything uh not just the weather and it's not small talk it's actually about you know topics i remember talking about uh netflix with daniel uh last year before it had come out and i'd seen some copies ahead of time because um i was reviewing it and he hadn't seen any yet so he was just really interested so we just spent 20 minutes talking about that before we did the interview and he was he was really engaging he wanted to know your opinions he just wanted to have a chat really and and i th hope that he comes across like that um to the public when he he does interviews or, or you kind of see him um interact on on, on telly or uh, online um other drivers are slightly more guarded so i think lewis is probably one of them but he's at least in my experience one of the most open and interesting sports people actually that i've ever interviewed because he's just I don't think anyone will ever truly know the real Lewis Hamilton, and that's not a slight on him. I just think he's such a, a complex character in a really nice way. Um, he's obviously got so much attention, and he's had that attention on him for such a long time. And I think sometimes he can probably come across as um, maybe aloof or, or people might not warm to him. But I think that's just because he's so desperate to win. Like, his life is winning in Formula Stop One. Hungry. Exactly. He's got that hunger. And I, I think that there's other sports people, maybe like Andy Murray, perhaps, who mm. they don't, people don't quite understand them because of just when they see them in that snap interview mm. or or pit, the way they post for pictures or whatever. And I just don't ever think that's it's fair on them. I, I, I'm really impressed by, I'm very lucky that I've, I've spoken to a lot of drivers and worked with them for many years now. And I, I think they're just very impressive individuals. Anyone who makes it into Formula One is clearly good and, and deserves to be there. And I, I think they're all very different characters. And I think we're very lucky at the moment that we've got some really good characters in Lando um, and Daniel and, and many others like Carlos and the younger generation, actually, George and Charles. And I know Alex is on the grid this year, but I think that kind of that kind of group of guys um, are, are great. Uh, they're great fun. I, I, I love working with them. Your energy. Yeah, I, I mean... Oh, sorry to interrupt you there, Gus. I was just going to say, um, Dan Daniel Kvyat, he's just number one to mention. He always seems like a bit of a mis... Um, he his character always seems a bit of a mystery to me, but I've seen some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, and even he looks like he's got quite... You know, he's quite a jovial character as well. Um, yeah, he's he, so, yeah. Is, he is brilliant. I think that um, what he doesn't do is he's not interested in uh, PR speak. He's not interested in in just saying something for the sake of it he just wants to tell it how it is and I think that really came through in the back end of last year when it was abundantly clear to him several races from the end that he wasn't going to be in the car this year he didn't outright say that but he didn't then say well let's just see what happens you know he didn't he didn't kind of um, there were no platitudes he was just very open and honest he said well just go and ask Helmet because Helmet knows and and I just quite, <laughs> I quite like that. And you're right, actually, that um, AlphaTauri have been brilliant. Um, actually, Josh Cruz, who does the social media there, has really like offered an opportunity to really see inside the lives of the, the guys there. And I think hopefully that's come across that Danny's a really great character. And I think it will be a loss that he won't be around this year. Um, he's still trying to push for some sort of development test role and he would still like to be back in a race seat. His manager's Nicholas Todd, so it's quite handy to have him um kind of in his <laughs> stable so i'm not saying that we'll never see him again but you're right he's just another example of a, of a driver that perhaps you don't you might not think is a great um a great one to have around but is actually uh really quite funny yeah definitely you, have you seen yeah. have you have you uh been lucky enough to see any footage of the is there another drive to survive coming out 
Yes. So as I understand it, um, at the moment, cuts are kind of going round to various teams um, so that they can have a look um, before they put the final touches to the edits. Um, and I haven't seen them yet. I'm hoping to get it hopefully in the next few weeks, just when they start um, offering it out to media so that we can start reviewing it ahead of the release, um, which is scheduled just before uh, the start of the season. Sweet. Yeah, I think it's meant to be March, um, the release for that one. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day we'll see you on Drive to Survive, <laughs> Lawrence. Maybe. At the moment, I think Will Buxton seems to be doing a pretty good job of that, so I might leave him to it for now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take him off his pedestal. Um, and sort of, um, you, you mentioned a lot about your journalism. Obviously, that's probably one of the main things that you're known for. Um, what's your advice for any of those starting out? Like, I've been writing a bit for a website called The Jacker mm-hmm. Flag, um, it's more of a part-time sort of thing. But what's your advice to for any of those um, starting out, maybe as a hobby or those maybe wanting to take it as a career? I think that's exactly the kind of thing that you have to do is do what you're doing is um, write to uh, multiple websites or any website you know that covers a sport or a championship that you, you're interested in writing about and just offer to write for them. I think initially I would just write what they ask you to write but when they get confidence in, in your ability, then I'm sure that they'll be keen to take on your own ideas. Uh, maybe when we get to a place uh, where the world's a bit more normal, uh, you can go to events and perhaps do things, um, do pieces, speak to drivers, actually report on events live. I, I think for me, the most important thing was just to get experience. So it was spend, spending time doing as much writing as I could, even if it meant that hundreds of thousands of people wouldn't be reading it you know if it was just a couple of hundred it doesn't really matter it's it's more about you honing your writing style and getting it to a place where you feel confident about what you're doing uh, you feel like you can structure a story uh, well that you can structure a feature well that you can come up with ideas and then you'll just find that the, the better you get at that the more opportunities are going to happen because what you're doing is good and people take advantage of that in in a good way and and people will spot talent and all I think these websites, uh, magazines, uh, broadcasters want is they want enthusiastic people. Of course they do, but they want someone who um, has worked hard to to get to where they are and get their ability up to a standard where hopefully uh, they can show their their potential moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I had to. I only mentioned Fiat because I um, did a I did a piece on him. Um, for the checker flag, I did it all about his career because it's a lot of people don't. I mean, a lot of people who follow the sport have maybe come from Drive to Five, like we mentioned, and they don't know how talented he was when he he got promoted early to Red Bull uh, with that podium, and then he was demoted because they kind of had to promote Max Verstappen, and it, how it's kind of been a steady decline for poor old Daniel. Um, but we've got some questions from uh, my uh, Twitter. Yeah, if that's okay. If you just got a couple of them to. Um, fire out and um, Alex Davy asks um, when will there be some pad hoc merch that's <laughs> your uh, podcast Enj- I enjoy listening to that you, you and uh, Chris and Nate is it Nate that's it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well it's very nice of you to ask Alex <laughs> um, so Nate Chris and I have known each other for a while uh, now just in doing the job um, uh, as, as Formula One uh, reporters and so we just thought during lockdown it it would be a nice way, A, just to catch up 
together but b we talk about all the things that we talk on the podcast in the pub anyway so we just thought well let's see if this can transfer to a podcast and we've talked about various things from um t-shirts to mugs to all that sort of things i don't know whether we'll ever uh get to do it um of course if if we keep doing the podcast um i'm sure i could persuade chris and nate um to come up with something they're quite keen on doing some sort of t-shirt so um let me see what i can do nice one um we'll leave all the links to that in the description if anyone who's listening hasn't um heard it um before um sam ogara asks what's the weirdest interaction you've had with a driver good or bad Oh, that's, uh, I suppose it's how do you define weird, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I suppose... Uh, awkward, maybe? I'm not sure. Well, I've got a couple, I don't know if it fits the bill exactly, but um, when I, one of my first jobs, um, my first full-time job actually was for a magazine called Sport, um, and it was a free weekly magazine that you used to get in London um, that they hand out at the Tube. So it's things like the Metro, the shortlist, that kind of thing. And I got that job and I got there and I was a staff writer and no one at the magazine was really interested in motorsport or Formula One. So they just let me kind of do anything that I wanted really. And so I managed to do a fair (laughs) few interviews, including interviewing Michael in Valencia, um, Michael Schumacher in Valencia. Um, We did... I did Lewis Hamilton a couple of times as well, but I went. they flew me to Mallorca. Head & Shoulders were sponsoring Jensen Button at the time, and he was doing some, he was doing some adverts for them. So they flew me to Mallorca uh, to this villa where he was doing these Head & Shoulders adverts, obviously in a bathroom in a fancy villa in Mallorca. And we just did this interview by a swimming pool. And I know this doesn't count completely as weird, but it was really surreal for me because we were just sat on sound, sun lounges um, having a chat. And it was kind of, I got like 10 minute slots or 15 minute slots between takes essentially, or when he just got, he got uh, given a break. And it was kind of a really good chance to, to get to know him because I didn't know him that well. We did a lot of on the record, off the record chatter. Um, and I just remember pinching myself in those slots while he was filming, thinking this is just a bit mad, isn't it really? That I'm here in Mallorca on my day, like a working day, uh, waiting for a racing yeah. driver to come out to have a chat to him. Um, yeah, it was just, it was surreal. So um, I've been very fortunate to do quite a few um, random things like that. I remember I was, I did a co-driver. Well, I wasn't obviously a real co-driver, but I sat in the co-driver seat for Sebastian Loeb um, oh. at Goodwoods, wow. which was which was amazing. Yeah, I, I started the uh, stage thinking, let's try and interview him and do something funny along the way. And very quickly, I realized he just wants to see if he can make me sick. So <laughs> focusing on, uh, you know, in a nice way, obviously, but um, focusing on trying to do an interview at this point in time probably wasn't a good idea. So I've done some pretty random weird things like that. The, the whole, that when we talk yeah. about um, Jensen, that must have been nice also, just to, I guess, because when you're with drivers, you're always at the circuit, aren't you? So they're, they're always going to be a bit tense a bit because they've got the weekend on their mind. Um, so it must have been nice as well. He must have been... I, I don't know, but it was, he must have been surely more relaxed and just kind of uh, easy to talk to, in a sense. Yeah, you're you're completely right. To a point where I guess it almost then wasn't really about talking about Formula One. It was just talking about anything, really. At, at the time, I think he was just really getting into his running and triathlon. So we were just talking about random things like that. I think the week before, without trying to name drop, the week before, I'd played snooker with Ronnie O'Sullivan. 
which is oh. another random thing that I got to do. And so we just ended up talking about that and kind of meeting other sports people and um, how useful that is and how you can be inspired by by um, by others, even different sports and getting his opinions on, on, on other sports and other sports people. And I guess just trying to get an insight into what he's like as a person, not just Jensen Button, the racing driver and how quick is he and is he a good Formula One driver? Yeah. Um, we've got two more left, um, one one short one and one slightly longer one. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's from Luke from The Racing Pilot, um, really good YouTube channel for anyone listening if you haven't checked him out. Um, why the fascination of space boots? Um, so this all started um, when I bought a yellow pair of high tops um, that I just thought looked quite cool and anyone who knows me knows that I've always throughout my life worn bright colors um and i just bought these boots and they just became a bit of a talking point in the paddock and then over the years um i just kind of not tried to find the most outlandish shoe but just tried to find maybe the the quirkiest ones and then i just landed in one google search um after i'd come home from dinner i was in belgium and i'd come back from dinner and we'd had a few drinks whatever and i was just shopping and it was one of those purchases where you probably just make when you probably when you're maybe more uh sober and regret later yeah you might regret later and i just saw these cool these red moon boots and i thought well these are awesome like i can use them on you know practically uh let's get them and stuff and i got them and i just remember thinking oh they're really bright and they're really big and i just thought Shall I wear them? Try not. And I bought them for Russia because it's obviously the home of the Winter Olympics. Yeah. And I, I, I was thinking back to when I'd last been to Russia because it'd been a few years. And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure it wasn't that hot. So I was like, well, let's just wear them. It'll be a funny gag. And people, you know, people ask me why I'm wearing them. I'll say, because it's the Winter Olympics. And then it was like 28 to 30 degrees. <laughs> And I got there and people were just like, why, like, I appreciate your commitment to it all, but why are you sticking with it? And I think I managed to get through half a day in them and I just had to swap shoes because I was like, I can't cut, like, I can't cut with them. Like, it was so hot and it was so sweaty. And, uh, yeah, but it was, it was funny. It became a talking point. The good, the really good thing about it is the drivers all talk about them now and they find it funny and they, they kind of suggest ideas of, other quirkier things like Danny Kvyat was suggesting that I get some dry ice and put them in packets attached them to the side of the shoes so it looks like I'm so every time I'm moving it's just got a constant like bit of foam or a bit of smoke coming out which actually would be quite cool um and it just became like a bit of an icebreaker really with the drivers and it's actually worked out quite well um on that point um I have convinced or I did convince Alex Albon that when he got another podium he would do a shoeing um from my from my red moon boot um so I haven't managed to convince anyone else to do that so let's see what we can do this year I mean Lewis has been getting in the business of shoeys recently so uh... yeah having said that he would never do it I think yeah that's right yeah I know and then he did it from Daniel he said he would never drink the juice from the foot or something i mean i'm not sure i would be that keen to do it given i know that after a day of my feet being in a shoe it can't be that pleasant and they've been they're a racing driver in all that temperature in the in the car oh it can't be pleasant imagine after singapore i'm sure i doubt that would be nice exactly yeah so and then the final one from uh ollie from tgsf1 another great youtube channel um he asked two questions. Um, first of all, what's your favourite out of your trainers? Which is your favourite one? Um, the Chewbacca ones I got last year. Um, 
they were my friend Rosa, who's um, is the Mercedes press officer who looks after Lewis Hamilton. She just found a she found a picture of them, so she sent them to me, and she was like, "You should get some of these." And I went to try and buy them, um, and they'd sold out. And then it just so happened that my mate, who organises our hire cars at work, so this is very random. Um, his wife had bought he had bought a pair for himself and his wife had bought him a pair as a surprise so he had two and we're both the same size shoe so if that isn't meant to be i don't know what is um so then he... the world works in funny ways exactly so i got them of him so yeah so they're my favorites at the moment although i've got some really cool new uh, and... ones for this year which i won't tell you about oh he also he he also adds that you rock some mad ones um yeah also what's your what's your favorite piece of reporting to do on a race weekend um his favorite is a weekend warm-up uh you and will do which he loves yeah so last year was the first time that we did weekend warm-up which is the thursday kind of magazine type show looking ahead to the weekends um and that was actually my favorite thing to do last year um it's been great working or it was great working with will last year um I think we get the best out of each other. Um, he's got some strong opinions. I've got some strong opinions. And so I think it it works um, quite nicely. He often talks, does the sort of TV side of the interviews. I do more the written side, although I ended up doing more TV towards the end of the last year. So we had a good cross-section of um, information. You know, we'd get uh, information from different sources. So it was, uh, it was a really nice way for us to not only personally refresh what's been going on in the time before that race and then ahead of that weekend uh, but also hopefully give um, guys who are listening girls and guys who are listening um, an opportunity to kind of set themselves up for the weekend really and, and kind of um, get an idea of of where we are both in the news but also like a sort of form guide ahead of that particular race weekend Sweet. nice Sweet. one um i don't know if you know lawrence but uh i i uh, race in um gt cars so i did a uh, british gt4 last year which was completely awesome very and, cool yeah no it's, it's 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 amazing and um i guess my my thing is is that um obviously fergus knows all about this is how i, I get a bit i don't know i feel like gt uh, doesn't often get enough you know um publicity yeah publicity and i don't know i just guess i want to know like what's your opinion on it do you watch it or are you really not bothered or you know where do you stand with it so i'm quite sad to say that since i've started covering formula one full time since 2015 i don't have the time anymore to follow not only other motorsports but other sports generally like i love tennis i used to watch so much tennis i used to follow like i said earlier british shoring cars a lot just because it was the series that i got into you know i was across world rally um i was across moto gp i'll admit i probably wasn't um across the gts um in truth but i was across a wider breadth of motorsport and i'd like to think that i had a, a an umbrella idea about what's going on but now because formula one and i'm i'm happy for it of course it consumes me and um it's i i live in i live and breathe it and it's what i think about most of most of the time when i'm not thinking about non-work related things right. and um so there just isn't any time unfortunately so i feel really bad for for other series because that's it's no slight on, on those series um some of the best stuff that i've watched uh, isn't ordinarily going to be in in formula one because yeah. there's there's good quality racing across um across the board and i guess it's just a mix of it's time like so much available these days um accessibility wise and through social you can get through so much and there just isn't there isn't enough time of the day to consume it all so um i'm sad but i 
I love days out at you know British racing circuits and yeah. just watching racing because that, that's fundamentally what I like. I like watching racing, whatever it is. I think that's uh, that, that's probably the best. That's the best uh, excuse that we've had yet. So I, I, I think I have to let you off there. And, uh, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's, Get away with it's, it. It's nice to hear. Like I think you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we all have racing, don't we? And it's um, it, it's such a joy really to be able to watch anything. So. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you there completely. Uh, and I suppose um, we, we'll move on there from sort of our talking point of the episode. We can talk about the um, 2021 season, which is um, hopefully uh, we will be starting in Bahrain as planned um, and is fast approaching. Um, before we talk about some of the driving uh, market, obviously um, the team principal market ignited um, with Cyril leaving, but we talk about the drivers, which was... Um, a long drawn out process, but still very crazy. Um, um, obviously, we know the Mercedes seat. We pretty much know it's going to be um, Mahavir Ragunathan, no, Lewis Hamilton. Um, uh, but w- what's your opinion on? I suppose the biggest one of the market, the um, Sergio Perez uh, getting that Red Bull seat. Um, I think for Red Bull and for Checo, it's it's a great thing. I think I've said for a while that I feel that Red Bull's Red Bull's desire to to use their junior program is is a great thing, um, but I think when there isn't the the strength and depth in it, or they they want to they don't have the option to to pursue by um, promoting in the way that they want to, they should consider looking outside the pool. Um, and I think that it's so important if they have serious desire to win the constructors' world championship is that they need a strong driver in the second seat. And I think for a long time last year, I honestly believe that their thinking was to keep Alex Albon right until the death, really. And it and so for them to then switch to Checo, I guess because Alex had a really frustrating end, should we say, to his campaign. He just didn't quite hit all the boxes that they wanted to, even though I feel like they gave him every chance. Checo got his opportunity, and I actually think it's actually worked out the best for them in the long run because I think he's going to be mega this year. He's one of the most impressive drivers that I've got to know uh, that I've seen race. Um, and often we see drivers who come into Formula One. They're so highly rated. We expect big things of them. You could say that, you know, we could say that Roman Grosjean should have done much better than he ended up doing. We could say that Nico Hulkenberg could have done much better than he ended up doing. And you just get to a point where you're heralded and then opportunities don't fall your way. Uh, and then you get forgotten about. And Checo was dangerously close to that position, although arguably, in my view, he didn't deserve that. He deserved a, a top seat. He was unfortunate he picked McLaren of all the opportunities he could have mm. picked, and that just didn't work out for him. So I think that they're going to get a driver who you could describe as a veteran, but is going to be young at heart in the sense that he wants this so badly. He's so excited. Um, just from what I was hearing about his the way that he was at the, the Red Bull factory when he was in there last week, uh, he's so massively up for it, and I think that he's he's going to push Max. Max is going to have the edge because not only has he been there for a long time and is he superhuman and probably one of the greatest talents Formula One's going to see over the next few years, um, I think Checo is going to really push him um, perhaps much tougher than a Valtteri Bottas is pushing Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, we know that. Max likes things to be run a certain way and I suppose he's never really had he's always had that young driver who has to get used to the new car the Red Bull which is historically quite a hard car to drive and it'll be interesting to see someone like Checo Perez who 
is quite an adaptable driver and has all that experience. Whether there'll be a lot of wheel banging on track, whether it'll be feisty or... I think it's going to be a really interesting dynamic within that Red Bull team. I think you're right. Um, I think next year. it'll be really interesting to see, A, how Red Bull manage that, because we've we've seen that Sebastian and, and Mark Webber had a, a, a difficult relationship. Uh, we saw that Daniel um, and then Sebastian, towards the end, it was clear that obviously the, the hierarchy was changing slightly there as well. So, that, so it's going to be challenging. It's definitely going to be more challenging for Christian um, to manage that relationship. But I think you touched upon it when you said that Checo is very adaptable and that car clearly is very difficult to drive. I think if you ask people at Red Bull, they'd admit that. But because Max is so good, he's able to drive around it. And I think Checo is probably one of the few drivers on the grid who will be able to do that, also drive around it. And maybe not to the same level as Max. So I'm really excited to see what he can do. Um, And hopefully collectively that can help Red Bull take the fight to Mercedes um, and then we can get a, a, a great championship out of it. Sweet, sweet. And yeah, what I guess, what do you think about the whole? Uh, I mean, every year, I, I, it feels like every year, um, there's drama around Lewis Hamilton signing uh, a new contract. Um, what do you think's going on? Do, do you think it really is now the time where he's going to be like no, or do you think it's a there's a fight between not a fight, but I guess they can't come to an agreement? What do you, do you have any idea what's uh, kind of occurring? Because I feel like we're all a bit in the dark with it at the moment. So it is really unusual to be at this point in a campaign whereby the reigning world champion is out of contract. Um, So something obviously is going on. But when you you talk to people at Mercedes and the vibe that you get, no one seems too uh, worried. No one seems too concerned. And that makes me think that it is partly down to circumstance. So um, in the sense that Lewis is obviously away well, Lewis got COVID and then needed some time to, to recover from that. Then there was Christmas, awards season. Now he, he likes to go for his training camp at this point in time. So actually physically finding the time to maybe block out a day, half a day, however long Toto and he feels they need, probably isn't that easy. I think there probably is something to be said that Lewis and Toto probably aren't uh, making it easy for each other but that's because they both want to get a good deal out of it. Um, I imagine that Mercedes want to pay him slightly less because of the world that we live in, the global economy that you know, and, and where it's at the moment. And Lewis will have a value of what he thinks he's worth because he's a seven-time world champion, probably going to win the eighth this year if he's in a Mercedes. Um, it's, it's, it's very difficult, but I, I do think it's just down to the details and I think it's just down to them sitting down and, and, and hammering those out. I, I would be super, super surprised if he's not in the car yeah. um, this year. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, they have um, they wouldn't be bantering about Hamilton's contract on their social media if he's not if he's not signing another one. That's a good one, point. Uh, especially if he's, exactly. if he's the world champion. I mean, I, I've heard uh, rumours of your more uh, qualified, um, say whether these are just rumours that are, have any... Uh, I don't know what the name for it... Um, you know, proper rumours that are actually real. I've heard that he's um, that he's going to sign a three-year contract along with because um, the same as Toto is uh, signed and get ten world championships and then leave. <laughs> ten world championships, I imagine. I mean, ten ten is a nice number, isn't it? I guess for someone as talented as Lewis, he constantly has to 
reassess what his targets are because he keeps meeting them presumably and um <laughs> so 10 would be nice i don't i think the way that we can look at that is lewis doesn't want to be here forever um i think he he will have a, a time frame of when he wants to leave mainly because he's got so many interests outside of formula one from fashion to uh, to making his own music and i think he will want to pursue that as well as doing the humanitarian things that he's he's used his profile so well uh, to promote i think that a three-year deal sounds about right um but then it all depends on whether the figures are right and i guess lewis won't want to commit to that if the figure doesn't mean uh, it doesn't match what his uh, target is and therefore he might want a shorter contract um, I think many things will play into it. I think that's part of why it's taken so long. Like you said, um, that that speculation that suggested that he wanted to tie it in with Toto's new deal. I imagine, knowing how how well they get on with each other, it's in both of their interests to be around simultaneously. But I don't think that mm. Lewis would tie himself specifically to that because he backs himself ultimately. And I think that he will feel that he, you know, worst case scenario and Toto moves into a role that isn't so day to day on the, the race team or he leaves all entirely. Um, Lewis would still back himself, I think. But obviously his ideal world would be, I think, to have Toto there. Yeah. Um, and then probably one of the most exciting lineups on the grid, in my opinion, anyway, is um, at Alpha Tauri with um, Pierre Gasly, obviously a race winner now. And Yuki Tsunoda, who is just such an exciting talent. He came from almost nowhere um, um, before he went to F3, had a great year, then moved up to F2, had another great rookie season. Somebody tends to start on fire with um, the series that he progresses up to. How do you see that, the um, the teammate battle between Gasly and Tsunoda playing out? Because I, I personally think that Gasly will... Um, beat him in a teammate battle, but you know there's always that chance that Sonoda will overcome Gasly. But I think if he does, it's probably a bad thing for Sonoda because he'll, he might get promoted <laughs> prematurely if, say, Perez does Perez does badly, and then we all know how that one ends. Um, but what's your opinion on the lineup at AlphaTauri? I completely agree with you. I think that um, that is one of the most exciting or most intriguing driver lineups that we've got this year. I'm hugely impressed by Pierre Gasly. I think the way that he's coped with the demotion um, and the pain and the hurt that he felt um, from that um, has been sensational. And I think that the way that he's reacted and the maturity that he's shown and the speed and improvement that he's made probably means that he's going to be around Formula One now for a, a very long time. Obviously, like you said, Yuki Tsunoda could go and beat him and that will change things and it will change the perspective. I think that's probably asking a bit much for him to beat him overall over the course of the season but I think that you will see that there'll be particular races where Yuki really shines um I was lucky enough to watch quite a bit of F2 last year and when it became clear that he was probably going to be around next year you just spend a bit more time watching his race trying to unpick it a bit more um trying to get mm. a better understanding of of how he races and his approach to strategy and that kind of thing. But also you then get to speak to him more and he's a hugely impressive character. Simple things like his command of English is, is incredible. And therefore I can communicate when we communicate, it's just so impressive to know how articulate he is um, about things. And that's really going to aid him, of course, just in communication with his, his new team at AlphaTauri. Um, but his confidence is incredible really. Um, and I think that, it's one thing to be confident 
and be overconfident. It's another thing to just when you speak, you just believe that he that he's got the talent to back up that confidence. I think he's going to be brilliant this year. And I think Alpha Tauri at last are being considered more like a sister team rather than a junior team by Red Bull. And it's really in mm. the energy drinks company's um, interest for both teams to do well. And I think that's partly why Pierre is in that seat at Alpha Tauri because they know that he's, he's clearly doing so well there. Um, he's growing and he's hauling that team forward. And so I think that having him there and that experience that he's got with that young raw talent of Yuki, I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be a real, real, real interesting fight this year. Yeah, I cannot wait to hear Sonoda on the radio. He's quite, he's quite the character on the radio. He does have um, some funny radio messages. So it'll be interesting to, uh, to see what he's, um, see what he's like on the radio, whether he restrains it in Formula 1 or he's the same as he was in F2 and F3. Yeah, definitely, and, and obviously, speaking of exciting F2 graduates, you've got, obviously, the big one, long all the attention's been on, is Mick Schumacher, <laughs> and uh, looking at, obviously, traditionally, um, I, I think it'd be fair to say that he, he's taken a bit of time to adjust um, when he enters a new category, Um it was, you know, uh, I remember, I think it was F3, he, uh, he he smashed it at the end of the season, but at the start, he uh, took a while to catch up, and obviously, two seasons in F2, and um, it, I, I guess it's been his consistency more than anything, where he's really, really, that's kind of what won him the title, and uh, so, what what do you, how do you think he's going to, obviously, uh, it's going to fare out, obviously, he's got a lot of pressure, and in an unfair way, I think, obviously his last name. So there's that added pressure that his uh, dad is one of, if not the most successful uh, drivers of all time. So how, how do you think that will uh, play out? I think that pattern that you picked out is a really important one. I think it's something that people have probably got to remember over the next year or two yeah. with Mick is that he does take time to settle in. Um, and I think he's fortunate um that he's had that time to mature because it just shows what can happen if you if you give someone that opportunity. It did take him time enough to um, to to come to the front, but I I like you was really impressed by his consistency, and that's what wins you F two titles actually, is um is consistency. Obviously, you need obviously raw talent, um, but I just think that his aggressive approach to racing, but also realizing that it's a, the long game, um, was mighty. The way that he's dealt with the Schumacher name has been impressive for me. Um, he When I first actually interviewed him, it was last, well, not last year now, 2019 uh, in Bahrain. Um, and he was softly spoken. He was very well media trained, was very careful not to say the wrong thing, just because that's just, you know, how he'd been brought up. But when I interviewed him then on signing for Haas, what a difference a year makes like he he was much more relaxed much more open for the first time I felt like I was seeing a little bit more like what the real Mick Schumacher might be just a really nice kid um happy to be there happy to chat to you um happy to explain things um still not wanting to say the wrong thing understanding that he's got a very famous name that he that a lot of pressure comes with it but someone who just loves racing and so I'm super excited to see what he can do it's just unfortunate that or you could say fortunate that he's going to have a car that is going to be difficult to to yeah, score definitely. points in but can you imagine if he does score points in that car I think it'll make it even more it'll be even more impressive and if anything it just takes the pressure off a little bit for him 
Yeah, I, I agree. And also, like, um, I, that's what I was thinking. It, it's a similar thing with when the George Russell went into the Mercedes. I think it it almost did him a favour of all the things that happened because every time it, it was more... And it's the same thing with him in the Williams, I guess. I mean, getting that car into Q2 so many times and fighting for points, obviously very unlucky. But it, I agree with you there. I think the fact he's in a, a car that isn't at its full potential and is obviously, sadly... In a, in a sense, a backmarker uh, at the moment. Um, it, it almost makes it less pressure on him, but also if he does perform, then happy days. I mean, that's great for him. I com- Yeah, I completely agree. I think that um, it's the best place for him. He's got a team boss in Gunter Steiner who is brilliant. He's a great man manager. Um, uh, he's entertaining, as you'll know from... Yeah, we'll uh, and Mr. Netflix, um, he insists that he never watches it. I'm not sure I quite believe him, but um, I bet he does. I bet he does. But um, I think that that kind of family team um, and the way that they run and will really help um, Mick settle in. Because at least it's not a, like a massive team where there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of people. Uh, there's a lot of expectation. I think I think there's a lot of reason to believe that he's in a really good place next uh, for this season. Um, I've, need to keep remembering we're in 2021 and say it's this year not next year um and oh. um i'm just yeah i'm excited to see how he does obviously the key thing he needs to do is comfortably beat nikita um but we've seen enough i think to suggest there's no reason why that shouldn't happen yeah i think with um schumacher it's just it's a question of him he always takes a while to get used to the series if you look at him in F3, he had a quiet first um, year, and then in his second year, he had a quiet start of the season, then really started to win a lot at the end of the season to take that title. And in F2, it was kind of similar. He had a quiet first season, and then this year was more the consistency and the podium finishes that won him the title. Um, but then we move on to um, a returning... Someone who took part in the Young Driver test, yeah. so might be classified as a Young Driver, racing for Alpine. Um, got to remember that one. I wonder how many times Crofty or anyone else will call them Renault. Um, was Alonso the right choice? Because, I mean, obviously they had the uh, opportunity to promote the youngsters like Guan Yu Zhou and Christian Lingard. Do you think Alonso is going to still be that? He says he's not that same fiery character at that team. He wants to control everything. Um because if he is, it's going to be an interesting dynamic at Alpine. But what's your thoughts, Lawrence? I'm definitely someone who is all for allowing youth to come through. But then, as we've spoken about already, if you think about what we've got this year, we've got three new faces in Nikita, um, Mick and Yuki. I'm hoping I'm not missing anyone out. Um, and that's, <laughs> I think that's great for Formula 1. So the fact that we've then got a return in Fernando Alonso, I feel slightly less bad that he's taken a seat from someone else because at least we're still showing that three out of the 20 seats in the best sport in the world um, is open to youngsters. I think it's great that he's returning because um, there's a lot of anticipation, there's a lot of excitement. It's a little bit like when Michael returned for his second stint um, with Mercedes. Um, I'm interested Mm. to see... Hopefully not the same fate, though, for Alonso. He'll be hoping it's not quite quite uh, the same uh, fate although I suppose he'll be happy if he can get at least a podium or maybe a pole that was never a pole at Monaco um, I think <laughs> that for Fernando he wants to prove it to himself um, just on a very personal level that he's still got the ability uh, to compete in Formula 1 from a from an outsider's perspective I want to see if he, he's got that ability I think he's the kind of person that Alpine need 
from a motivational point of view. I think that him being there is just going to get everyone excited again. I'm not saying that Daniel didn't get them excited, you know, far from it. They loved having him there and he was great for the team. But I think that bringing Fernando back as the double world champion, so much history with that Endstone team, I think it's a great thing. Is he going to be able to to cause um, to cause chaos in a, in a positive way? Is he going to be able to really rip the rule book up and be top in the midfield consistently and challenge him for podiums consistently? I don't know uh, is the truth. And I think that we might see him getting frustrated if we get to the end of the first year together and, and he hasn't got those big results. But it'll be quite fun watching. And I'm really interested to see how he's going to go up against Esteban Ocon. Um, actually, not long before we started doing this podcast, I spoke to Esteban because he did a he drove a Alpine in two stages of the Monte Carlo Rally. Uh, yeah, so. today, wasn't it? And he was yeah. buzzed. He looked freezing because uh, we FaceTimed we <laughs> and he was freezing and stood outside next to, uh, next to his car. And he's super excited. And of course, he's backing himself to compete respects Alonso but backing himself to compete so I think that's going to be another kind of interesting lineup because I think Esteban's going to give him a real run for his money and I think that's going to that's going to give Fernando a, a lot to think about that's nice that he's I think it's I think it's such an important thing as well that like you said he's excited he's fired up and I think that's such a important thing because you have Fernando Alonso a huge personality and um presence in in Formula One in the paddock and it would be very easy, obviously, to be almost put down by that, and and he and you know, it, I think it's great that he he wants to he wants to bring the fight to him, and and I think I, I agree with you. I, I really think he could give him a really good run for his money, if not, maybe 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 uh, perform better. I think I think you're right. I think there's a very good chance we'll end up um, at the end of this year um, with Espan Ocon fin- finishing ahead of Fernando um, Alonso in the drivers' championship. Um, and that will be a, a phenomenal achievement for Esteban. He had a really difficult start to his return to Formula One last year at Renault. I think a lot of people forget he had a year out. But by the second half of the year, he was things were finally going his way. And he was showing that actually he's a pretty handy racing driver. That's why Merck backed him for so long. Um, and I think that he can, if he can really step on this year and show a really good um, performance versus Fernando and if it beat him I think he that could make him be around for a fair few years to come yeah because I mean the speculation over whether a certain Pierre Gasly might be the one to take that seat when Ocon's contract expires at the end of this year but if he beats Alonso then there's no doubt that he'll be get another year um, in in Formula One um, then also this year we're seeing um, slightly shaken up uh calendar we've got tba still on the calendar but i think that's it's supposedly meant to be announced as portimao in the next week or so i don't know if you if you know anything about that one lawrence i mean i would have thought it's more than likely gonna be portimao um in that slot um but then having said all that the very basis that it hasn't been announced yet suggests that there's obviously things that they need to um iron out but it would be great it would be having had the opportunity to go to that race last year um it was a phenomenal event a phenomenal circuit um and returning in may when the weather would be better um i think will be will be amazing and then we also see uh the new edition of the saudi arabian grand prix obviously we don't know uh we don't know what it's gonna look like hopefully um we'll know soon um hopefully it'll be a good racing circuit for um overtaking but What's your opinion on the um, the street circuits on the calendar, like Baku, Monaco? Because 
surely in the current climate with all that's going on, are they a doubt? Um, are they a doubt whether they might go on or not? Because obviously, there's not really much point having one if you can't have a crowd. Well, as as far as I know, and um, as it stands at the minute, all of the street circuits that are on the calendar at the moment um, are going to go ahead. Obviously, we don't know what's happening from one day to the next, um, and that could throw um, throw things up in the air. But as it stands, um, all those ones you mentioned, Monaco, Baku, Canada, um, are, are going to try and find a way uh, to make them happen. Um, and you're right that in an ideal world, it would be good to have fans there um you know for me personally the quicker we can get the fans back the better just because of the atmosphere at a race is is incredible mm. and it, it makes it feel like an event um but obviously in the climate that we're in at the moment it it's not easy um and so i guess it's just about looking at finding a way uh to host those events um without fans if that's what's required um going forward because everyone knows it's a unique situation so i think it's it's not this isn't a normal world and I guess uh, a normal world and a normal year so I suppose it's it's a bit easier to have a bit more flexibility and um, and Formula One uh, Monaco is such a great venue um, it's such it's so good to have it on the calendar so I'm sure that if they can find a way and, and Formula One can find a way uh, they'll they'll make it happen. Yeah, I mean it's 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 going to be interesting this year whether we how quickly the crowds are going to be back so I, I don't think. We're going to have full capacity crowds this year at all. I doubt it anyway. But, I mean, there are circuits like Zamvor, which are saying that they won't have it unless there's a crowd. So we never know. There might be some um, last-minute shuffle around, which could be could be interesting. And we've also got Imola returning to the calendar. Um, not the greatest track for overtaking. Um, but what's, how do you feel about that one coming back Um Lawrence. It's a really, it's a really cool venue. So I, I've been to Imola uh, before last year uh, for a world touring car race, um, and thought how mega it would be for me to, or for the world to see Formula One uh, back at that circuit. And um, qualifying was immense. So I think it's great that we're going back to Imola. It's obviously got so much history. Um, Italy is so passionate about Formula One. Um, I think it that when you uh, Imola without fans. It's a shame. I think that that's part of what makes that event so good. Um, but I guess for them, if they can host a race for a second year in a row, that's great for them. And then you never know what's going to happen in the future, especially if it's you know it's a, a cracking race. So I guess this year we just need to look to doing the best that we can uh, and try and get as many races as we can done in the places that we that the calendar says um, that they're going to be, and just take it one race at a time I think you're right that there could potentially be changes of course they could be but we should showed last year that you can always slot other ones in and, and just try and find a way to get through awesome yeah. awesome so now is, is is time for the I guess the most important part of this whole podcast which is the <laughs> quick um no pressure what's our highest score folks do you know it's nine is the highest nine. score nine out of ten right okay so um and what's yeah, our <laughs> What's the lowest score? What is that? Uh, three, I think. Okay. Oh wow, that's impressive. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. I, do you know what? I think. I think. I, I don't want to pile pressure on you. No, don't pick me up. For goodness' sake, do not do it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
If you don't get, if you get at least uh, less than 11, then it's a poor show. Right, okay. So, question one. At which Grand Prix did Sebastian Vettel make his debut? Uh, America. The what? 2006. No, seven. Yes, nice, 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 nice. Very niche knowledge, though. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, second question. Ford owned a team in F1 in 2000 under which name? Jaguar. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm stressed. I, I can't tell you how stressed I am by this. <laughs> we sprung it. We we for, yeah, for context, know, like, we didn't tell Lawrence it was coming up. Just sprung it on him. Like, um, um, question three. Now, if you don't get this, I'll, I mean, I don't know what I'll do. Um, yeah. Retire. For which country did both Emerson and Wilson Fittipaldi race under? Brazil. Good. 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 Yeah. Career saved. Um, which circuit held the first race of the French Grand Prix in 1950? Oh no, I'm not very good at this. <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess at Ream. Yeah, nice. That's, that's when you're off the way the knowledge about the 50s, I'd say. So nice one. Um, <laughs> um, the Hungarian Grand Prix became a part of the F1 World Championship during which decade? Oh, guys, come on. Uh, <laughs> 80s. Yeah. Crack it. Iron Curtain, that's what I was thinking. Right, okay. <laughs> I was. I always think back to the... Was it... Um. I can't remember. Was it Nelson Piquet drifting it around the outside of Senna into... I don't know if anyone's seen that. Uh, in the 80s, there's a famous overtake where he... He, yeah, he sent it around the outside. That's of... great recall, mate. That's great. I'm impressed by that. <laughs> um... Um, HSBC was the title sponsor for which F1 team from 97 to 99? Stewart. Correct. Um, in 2007, which two drivers were disqualified in the Canadian Grand Prix for neglecting the red lights in the pit lane? Oh, no. Um, uh, two drivers. Uh, Lewis, Lewis Hamilton's first win. No, can't be Lewis. Oh, God. K- uh, Kubica. Incorrect. Uh, Massa? Yes. Oh, no. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what the other one is. Nick Heitfeld? It was Fisser Keller. No. Uh, I wasn't going to get that. So you get half a point for that one. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, What was the last... uh, Wait, hang on. Uh, What was the last race that half points were awarded? That was a Malaysian Grand Prix, I think. Yes, Julian. Uh, oh my goodness, it was raining and it was dark. Uh, oh, this is hard. Hang on, 2000. Jensen Button won. 2014? No. I think we could give you the point for the Malaysian what, what? Grand Prix, but it was 09. Oh, gosh. I should have done yeah. that. In his brawn, Button. Um, that, that was when Kurz first started being uh, like a proper. Uh, properly used and i remember that some, some people were quite concerned about it because obviously they hadn't prepared for because it, it was literally a washout and uh yeah so yeah and they, they just got too dark didn't it and then they couldn't yeah, Is that yeah, what it was? yeah you're yeah. right yeah it rained for so long and then it got dark and they couldn't restart so they just yeah. gave it half that's points. a great question well yeah, well there we go um how many wins has mick schumacher achieved in both his years in f2 oh together i must add I'm going to guess at five. Incorrect. It's it? three. Oh. 
It's mad, isn't it? In two years, he's won three races, but he won the won the championship. Yeah, but that's the consistency. Isn't yeah, it? it's eleven. He's got eleven podiums. Yeah, there so, you go. So. Um, the wheels are coming off here, guys. I need to back it up. <laughs> <laughs> the the panic's really set in now. Um, is it uh, Prima that are the only F3 team to uh, complete their F3 lineup uh, for the upcoming season? Do we know who their confirmed drivers are? <laughs> uh, oh no! One of them a past a past guest a past guest on this the podcast. Thing so it is, it's not going to help you. I know but... that I know that who I thought was going to get it, but didn't was John Luca Petikoff, but he didn't get it, and I thought everyone ran out of budget. I think so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, one of his teammates in Formula Regional, the vice champion of Formula Regional. Know, guys, one of I'm them. not even going to try and guess because it was bad. <laughs> who, who is it? Tell me. Um, it is a Artur Leclerc. Um, is, is <laughs> oh, it... I, knew that. I actually knew it was Leclerc. Oli Caldwell and Hauger. Holger, I don't know how to say it. Dennis Hauger, he's he's really one to watch at. I think Dennis Hauger will, will achieve high things. He's really, really good. So what was that? What was that of uh, 10? Seven. I think that was 7.5 out of 10. Oh, I'll take that. That is not That's a bad okay. effort at all. That's okay. Um, I'm, I'm all right with that. I didn't embarrass myself. No, definitely not. Okay, no. <laughs> definitely, you, you ran off to a fly. <laughs> you ran off at a fly. Like question three or four, I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll go after the 10 out of 10. <laughs> That's where my mistake was. Thinking such a thing. Easy, easy, mistake, easy mistake to make. Took a too wide a line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, um, Lawrence, and with Gus, as always. Um, hope everyone has enjoyed it. Um, obviously, Lawrence and I have been organising this one for a little while, so it's been there. Uh, be nice to uh, finally get a date down. But if you want to um, sort of plug all your social medias for anyone who's not following them, Lawrence. Yeah, well, I just want to say thanks very much um, for having me on, Fergus and Gus. I really appreciate it. And yeah, like you said, Fergus, I'm glad that we finally managed to get this uh, uh, into the diary. Um, so it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. Thanks for having me. Um, you can follow me on all uh, social medias uh, with the same t- handle at Loro Barreto on Instagram and on Twitter, um, and I'll plug the Paddock as well, um, because it's just a po- fun podcast uh, that I enjoy doing. And of course, anything uh, that you want to know Formula One news related, please go on to F1.com. Yeah, for sure, the place to go. Um, Gus, what about your uh, your socials, if you want to plug them as always for everyone? It's just uh, it, uh, Gus Bowers on Instagram uh, and TikTok. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Gus Bowers 44 on uh, Twitter. So yeah. Yeah, and then it's at Fergie Master um, if you guys want to follow me. But anyway, guys, that is it for the episode. I hope you guys have a great week. Uh, stay safe. Um, and it's not long to go until Formula One. So, um, yeah, enjoy all the motorsport that's coming your way. Goodbye.